Those of you, if you have a Bible, please turn with me to Romans chapter 12. That's where we're going to be here in just a bit. Had a great vacation. It's good to be back, and it's really good to be right back here. I love being with you all, and I love preaching the Word of God. If I could share one more announcement with you guys, I've been emailing about it. Uh, not this Saturday evening, but the next, August 13th, 5.30 to 8 o'clock, we're going to have our men's muster. A muster is a gathering of men in preparation for battle. And so we want to muster together on August the 13th, 5.30 to 8 o'clock, come together and have a great time. We're going to get some barbecue, so we're going to eat. My old coach and good friend, Coach Todd Dodge, is going to be with us. He he is, you know, if you care about this, Texas high school football, he's legendary. Um, as Texas Monthly Magazine said, probably nobody has ever done it better than Coach Todd Dodge. He just retired from Austin Westlake after three straight state championships, and uh, he agreed to come and be with us and share stories about his life playing football, coaching football, and insights he has into being a dad and a husband, and that sort of thing. We'll also be casting some vision for our men's ministry heading into this new year. And so, I'm going to talk a lot, a handful of times this morning about RedeemerCommunity.life. Mike already got you going there if you're a guest with us today. But fellas, if you will, please help us plan by signing up for our men's muster. Not this Saturday night, but next. In their wonderful book, The Drama of Scripture, Finding Our Place in the Biblical Story, Craig Bartholomew and Michael Coheen share this little illustration from New Testament scholar N.T. Wright. It's under the heading, What Time Is It? N.T. Wright provides a helpful illustration of how the Bible invites us to find our place in the story. He imagines that the script of a lost Shakespeare play is somehow discovered. Although the play originally had six acts, only a little more than five had been found. The first four acts, the first scene of Act, of act Five, and the final act of the play, Act Six. The rest is mythic. The play is given to Shakespearean actors who are asked to work out the rest of Act Five for themselves. They immerse themselves in the culture and language of Shakespeare and in the partial script that has been recovered. Then they improvise the unscripted parts of the fifth act, allowing their performance to be shaped by the trajectory, the thrust of Shakespeare's story as they have come to understand it. In this way, they bring the play toward the conclusion that its author has provided in the script's final act. Something like this may help us to understand how biblical authority can guide our own lives now. We have seen the biblical drama of redemption unfolding in most of five acts. That's where they are in their book. Creation, the fall into sin, Israel's story, 
the story of Jesus Christ, the story of the church leading to the consummation of God's plan of redemption, an act not yet complete, Acts 6. And so Act 5 is the story of the church, and it's leading to Act 6, the consummation of God's redemption. We also know the author of the story. Now, given the trajectory of the story as it's been told to this point, and especially knowing that we have been entrusted to perform the continuation of Act 5, the mission of Jesus in the early church, how are we believers to live our lives today? How can we play our part so as to allow the story to move forward toward the conclusion that God has already written for it? It's pretty good. They have seen in the drama of Scripture the unfolding of the story of the Bible, six acts. God establishes His kingdom at creation. There's rebellion in the kingdom, the fall. The king chooses Israel and initiates redemption. The coming of the king, Jesus, and the redemption that He accomplishes upon the cross. The spreading of the news of the king, the mission of the church, that's Act 5. And then Act 6, the return of the king when redemption is completed. You and I are living in Act 5. We are living in the spreading of the news of the king, the mission of the church. We know the trajectory of the story. We know the thrust what God is doing in the world. And this play, if you will, has been handed to us as the Shakespearean actors to study it, to get to know its language and its culture, its thrust and its trajectory, knowing where it's going, and then to step in and to improvise and play our part in light of where it's been in light of where it's going. My wife Tara reads a really good devotional each day. It's written by Paul Tripp. It's called New Morning Mercies. And just yesterday, she said, you've got to read today's devotion. She didn't even know what I was going to be preaching on. Here's what Paul Tripp said on July 30th. What could be a greater, higher honor than to be a chosen instrument for the most important renewal project in the universe, redemption? He then quotes the Great Commission from Matthew 28 and then writes, Christ's commission to the disciples is his commission to the church and is his plan for the life of every single believer. No one has been chosen to be just a recipient of the redemptive work of his kingdom. No, everyone has been chosen to be a recipient, has also been commissioned to be an instrument of the work of that kingdom as well. The work of evangelism, the spiritual growth work of the church and the cause of worldwide missions was never designed by the Redeemer to be shouldered by a small collection of paid religious professionals. Does God set people apart for ministry? Of course He does. 
But their role is not just to do ministry, but to mobilize, train, and equip all of God's people for the great honor and privilege of publishing His amazing grace wherever they are. It is sad that so many of God's people spend their lives searching for some significant endeavor to give themselves to when they have been chosen to be part of the most powerfully transformative work in the history of the universe. Part of the problem is that we tend to carry around with us an unbiblical definition of ministry that allows us to live comfortably as Christian consumers. We think of ministry this way. We have our little private lives that belong to us, and we step out of our lives into moments of ministry and then step back into our lives after those ministry initiatives are over. The fact of the matter is that since we have been bought with the blood of Jesus, our lives don't belong to us anymore. They are His possession for His use. This means that our life is ministry, and ministry is our life. There's no real separation between life and ministry. That means we live, work, relate, play, and relax with a ministry mentality. It means I'm always thinking about how to be a part of what God is doing in the locations where He places me. This means my connection to the work of the body of Christ is not that I'm the attender of something, but rather I am a participant in something along with everyone else. I am part of God's, all of my people, all of the time, redemptive plan. The greatest honor of my life is that I've been chosen to be both a recipient and an instrument. This has given my life deeper meaning than anything I could have discovered on my own. This is what grace alone can do. Well, that's our great hope, isn't it? That every single one of us would not only see ourselves as recipients of the grace of God, but instruments in the Redeemer's hands to minister to the body of Christ and to the surrounding world. It is our hope at Redeemer to be a people who joyfully follow Jesus and help others do the same. For the next several weeks, we're going to do something that we're going to call Redeemer 102 and 103, and I want to tell you a little bit more about that. I was going to put this on the screen, but we have no screen, so get your glasses out, if you will, if you need to. So Mitch, what's our mission? Joyfully follow Jesus, help others do the same. Yeah, what's our strategy? What's our map? Where do you want people to go? What are we trying to to do? We've said it like this, worship gatherings, community groups, service teams, and mission circles. You see it there, here's where we want you to go as a member of Redeemer Community Church. Come to worship gatherings, and here you are. Make attendance at Sunday worship gatherings a priority. Come with a heart ready connect to connect with church family. Worship our God and hear from His powerful Word. So here you are, and praise God. Where else would you like us to go? We'd love it if you would get into one of our community groups. Participate in a community group to the fullest. Be there. Prepare your lesson. Practice the one another's. Make friends. Get healthy. Grow strong as you joyfully follow Jesus and help others do the same. So make worship a regular rhythm of your life and then get into a group. 
And we'd also love for you to be on one of our teams. Join one of our teams and use your gifts alongside others to help Redeemer be the best it can be. And along the way, make some new friendships and develop as a leader in Christ's kingdom. We'd love you to come to worship. We'd love you to be in a group. We'd love you to be on one of our teams, whether it's this worship team, the, the welcoming team, greeting team out there, kids ministry team, serving with us in student ministry on Sunday night, on our missions team, local missions team, that you would use your gifts on one of our teams to help us be the best we can. And then we'd love all of us to live on mission with Jesus and what we call mission circles. Live with gospel intentionality in my circle, our circle, and the world. My circle is where you live, work, play, and study and play. Our circle is the geography around our church. And of course, the world is the unreached and unengaged peoples of the world. The broad level, you say, Mitch, where do you hope we go? Worship gathering, community group, service team, mission circles. And then we've kind of developed these steps along the way. You see those arrows, the one arrow leading from worship gathering to community group, and another from community group to service teams, another from service teams to mission circles. That first arrow, if you will, is Redeemer 101. Attend 101 to learn about Redeemer, become a member, and get plugged into a community group. At least that's our hope for everybody that comes to Redeemer 101. You become and maybe, and you say, boy, I'd, I'd love to learn more about this church, or I'd love to become a member of this church, or we're just not sure yet. What do I do next? Come to Redeemer 101. And in fact, today at RedeemerCommunity.life, you can sign up for Redeemer 101. We're going to have it on Tuesday night, August 9th. And you learn about Redeemer, the history of our church, the doctrine of our church, the vision of our church, our leadership, ministries, finances. You can ask any question that you want. We do the very best we can to answer it for you. We serve a good dinner. Take care of your little kids if you need that. We want and hope that all of you would go through Redeemer 101. Love for you to become a member of our church. And then from there, get you plugged in to a community group. And then Redeemer 102 and 103, we've never hosted these classes. Things come up, whatever it might be, but we've never been able to, to, to get them on the calendar and get them done. And so, if you will, just give me these few weeks. I want to put us all through it, if you will. 102, attend 102 to learn about our teams, to complete a shape assessment, talk to you about that, and get onto a team. So the vision of 102 is folks who are members of our church, maybe they're already in a community group, they're not serving anywhere, but they, they'd love to learn more about opportunities to serve at Redeemer, and so that's what 102 is meant to be. And then finally, where can I go to get further training on how to live on mission with Jesus? That would be Redeemer 103. So Romans chapter 12. If you're familiar with Romans, chapters 1 through 11 are marvelous about all that God has done for us. We who have sinned against Him under His condemnation, He sent His Son Jesus Christ to live and die in our place and for our sins. And through faith and faith alone in Jesus Christ alone, 
we can be forgiven of our sins, justified, declared righteous by God, adopted into his family, and have the assured hope of eternal life. That's what Paul said in Romans chapter 5. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. We're at peace with him, and he twice says in chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, we shall be saved. We shall be saved. That through Jesus Christ and his work and faith in him, we can be forgiven of our sins made right before God, adopted into his family, and have the assured hope of eternal life. But it doesn't end there in chapter 6 and 7 and 8. Not only has God forgiven us of our sins and made us secure in him, but he has also broken the power of sin in our lives. He's given us his Holy Spirit, and he empowers us for a new kind of life. Romans 6, 7, and 8. 9, 10, and 11 is about the glory of our sovereign God and his purposes to save his people. And then in chapter 12, the book makes a turn. You see it there in chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brethren. Therefore, in light of all that we've just talked about in chapters 1 through 11, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, So now from chapter 12 to the end of the book, chapter 16, it's application. It's getting very practical about how to live out our Christian life. Present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable perfect. And then for this morning, verse 3 and following. Paul is going to say, I think, at least this, that God wants you to know and use your spiritual gift for the good of others. If I'm right, do you know your spiritual gift or gifts? And are you using them for the good of others. For through the grace given to me, probably what Paul has in mind here is his calling as an apostle of Jesus Christ. That God through his grace not only saved Paul, but had had a plan for Paul's life, a particular unique plan that he was going to call him to be one of his authoritative messengers, an apostle. And what that little phrase means, if indeed he's talking about his apostleship, here's what it means for us, Redeemer, those of us who know Jesus as Savior, we have to listen to Paul. He's an authoritative apostle. He's not just sharing his opinion with us. He's not just saying, take it or leave it, what I'm about to say. For the grace as an apostle given to me, I say to everyone among you. I think the Greek here is just um, simply, I say to each. He's writing to the church in Rome. He's not singling out the leaders. 
He's not singling out the elders. He's not singling out the deacons. He's writing to the entire church. I, Paul, the apostle, say this to every one of you. Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. I say to everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. Paul's going to go on to talk about the body of Christ much, much more briefly than he does in a parallel passage, 1 Corinthians 12, where he talks about the body of Christ and the gifts that, he, that God has given to his people, but putting them together when he says, don't think more highly of himself than he ought to think. There's not any one of us in God's family or in the body of Christ who is to think ourselves superior to anyone else, in particular related to spiritual gifts. Hey, I got the gift of teaching. You just got the gift of administration. Right? Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. We're not meant to have any thought of superiority within the body of Christ related to giftedness. God and His work through the Holy Spirit of giving spiritual gifts to His people divides, if you want to use that word, the body of Christ like this, not like this. Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think, but think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each one of his people a measure of faith. I think it's implied we're not meant to think ourselves superior, but we're also not meant to think ourselves inferior. Just because I'm a toe and not an eye doesn't mean anything. Every one of God's people, every one of the members of his body is absolutely an essential part of the body, no matter what your spiritual gift may be. Verse 4, for just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, and that's true, right? The eye has a different function than the nose, the ears have a different function than the fingers, but we're all members of one body and every single one of us is essential. Verse five, so we who are many are one body and individually members of one another. And he's going to go on and call us Implicitly, I think, to know what our spiritual gift is and then to use it for the good of others. Verse 6. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, if you have a New American Standard, the next phrase, each of us is to exercise them accordingly, is in italics. That means it's not there in the original Greek. In fact, there is no verb in this part of the sentence. And so we have to supply it 
and most believe the best supply here is an imperative, or here's a fancy one, a subjunctive that calls us to action along the lines of something like the New American Standard. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. Or if you have an ESV, let us use them. Since we have different gifts, let's use them. Let's put them to work for the good of one another. I keep using that little phrase in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, talking about spiritual gifts. To each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Peter would say it in 1 Peter 4, talking about spiritual gifts, employ them in serving one another. When God saved you and put His Holy Spirit in you, apparently He gave you a spiritual gift, a particular unique way, and possibly, you know, there's debate about all sorts of these kinds of things, maybe even gifts abilities, inclinations that are meant to be a blessing to the body of Christ in the world. I think I have a gift of teaching. And it's amazing to me because probably if you know me, I'm kind of a quiet dude. You know? Not a real talkative kind of guy. I love to ask questions if we go out for coffee or whatever. I think I'm a fairly good question answer, asker. Um, and maybe that's because I like to just sit and listen. <laughs> that's my bent. But at the same time, I love to get up here and do this and talk for 45 minutes. Yeah, 45 minutes, right, Major. <laughs> I love Friday morning Bible study when I'm the main talker. One guy said, your spiritual gift is when God presses your love button. What comes out? And every one of us, I believe, has at least one spiritual gift. He lists seven of them here. There's more of them in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14. If prophecy, according to the proportion of his faith, there is lots of debate over what this New Testament gift of prophecy is. Some think it's the gift of proclaiming the Word of God boldly. Some would say maybe Billy Graham had the gift of, of prophecy. The Bible says, the Bible says, if this is the way we're to think of it, one of the missionaries we support is Dwight Smith. I think he's probably, if this is the right way to think of it, he probably has a gift of prophecy. He's bold in proclaiming not just what does the Word of God mean like a teacher might do, but what are we as God's people meant to do with what God has said? They're bold in calling God's people to action. Others say, no, the New Testament spiritual gift of prophecy is probably a little different than that. A spontaneous revelation that gives practical guidance in particular situations. 
that someone with a gift of prophecy may be given a spontaneous revelation about a particular person or a unique situation. You know what? I, I just think God is impressing upon me that, that this might be what He wants you to do. This might be what God wants us to do. Now, those sorts of prophecies are meant to be tested in the New Testament and that sort of thing. But if, we want to, if you want to debate about that, let's go to coffee. That's fun stuff. But if you've got that gift, use it. Put it to work. If service in his serving, probably the idea of service is the person who the last thing you want to do, they want you to do is put them up here to talk to people. But hey, do you need some chairs moved? Do you need some meals cooked? Do you need me to show up early and get some things done, work behind the scenes to make everything else easier for others? I'm all in. A gift of service. They want to, sometimes it's called a gift of helps. They help with practical needs in the body, joyfully give assistance in meeting needs. In his teaching, the gift of teaching probably carries the idea of being able to take the tradition that's already been handed down in the scriptures and understand it put it together and make it more clear for God's people. He who exhorts, or sometimes called the gift of or encouragement, parakaleo, come alongside. It's to come alongside somebody and encourage them. Put your arm around them. You can do it. I'm here with you. Don't quit. You see it there in those last three. In his service, or if service in his service, he who teaches in his teaching, he who exhorts in his exhortation. Tom Schreiner, New Testament commentator, writing on that says, where's it at? Uh-oh. Oh, here it is. Those who have such gifts should devote themselves to the gift that they've received. Those who serve to service, those who teach to teaching, those who exhort to exhorting. Paul makes these statements because discipline and perseverance are needed in order to use one's gift to the maximum benefit. If you've got the gift of service, go for it. The gift of teaching, let's go for it. The gift of exhortation or encouragement, use it. He who gives with liberality, apparently a gift of giving, and maybe you know somebody like this, I do, if you want their name, it'll cost you a hundred bucks. Now, these are folks who just, it's not that they have a lot of money. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. But they are so willing to trust God and so willing to joyfully give to meet the needs of others. It's funny, I've got one buddy who's got the gift of giving. He'll barely spend a dollar on himself, but he'll spend hundreds, if not more, on others. He who leads with diligence, don't lag behind, be zealous in your leadership. One find it aids the body by leading and directing members to accomplish the goals and pur purposes 
of the church. Leadership motivates people to work together in unity towards common goals. And then he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Don't you love folks with the gift of mercy? Especially when you're going through a hard time. Because they will listen. They will weep with you. They will hug you. They will discern your needs and they will meet them. They have a gift of mercy. When others are going through a hard time, it just... mm. So not only are we to know our gifts, but also put them to work. Paul listed seven here. There are more that the New Testament talks about. Again, some of them are debatable. I want to share quickly with you nine more, because here in a bit, I'm going to encourage you, if you will, to go and take a spiritual gift assessment. Some of you know what your spiritual gift is or are wonderful, but some of you go, if indeed Jesus has given me a spiritual gift and he intends for me to use it in blessing the body of Christ, I'd like to know what it is. And the spiritual gift assessment I'm going to push you towards is not perfect, not at all, but it can be helpful. Here's some other spiritual gifts in the New Testament. Administration. People with the gift of administration lead the body by steering others to remain on task. Administration enables the body to organize according to God-given purposes and long-term goals. There may be a New Testament gift of apostleship. There's an interpretive deal in Ephesians 4. But if if this is a, a gift that God gives, not just to the 12, but to even some of you, the church sends apostles from the body to plant churches or be missionaries. Apostles motivate the body to look beyond its walls in order to carry out the Great Commission. If you have an inclination in your soul that says, we need to reach people for Jesus, we're surrounded by 300,000 people, most of whom don't know Christ, what are we going to do about it, Redeemer? You may have an apostolic gifting. Let's, Let's push to take the gospel further right here in our city and maybe even around the world. Gift of evangelism. God gifts his church with evangelists to lead others to Christ effectively and enthusiastically. And not only does someone with a gift of evangelism uh, maybe more easily share the gospel with others, they, they can also be very effective at helping those of us who don't do so. They not only know how to share the gospel well, but they equip us to live on mission with Jesus and share the gospel as well. Gift of faith. Faith trusts God to work beyond the human capabilities of the people. Believers with this gift encourage others to trust God in the face of apparently insurmountable odds. Some of you have the gift of faith. You just trust. Even when things seem impossible, you got a smile on your face because you know God's in control and God can do it. And you're going to trust him. And you encourage us to trust him and to think big and not play it safe 
said, let's go, let's trust God. Some of you, the gift of hospitality. Those with this gift have the ability to make visitors, guests, strangers feel at ease, and they often use their home to entertain guests. They're good at integrating new members into the body of Christ. The gift of knowledge. The gift of knowledge manifests itself in teaching and training and discipleship. It's the God-given ability to learn, know, and explain the precious truths of God's Word. There's debate about this one too. Some believe it to be something like that. Um, When you think about the gift of knowledge, you might think about at, you know, a prophet, a seminary, who, boy, they just know the Scripture. Their, Their ability to recall and to, to bring information, valuable information to the table can just sometimes astound you. I think maybe our good friend Scott Ulrich has a gift of knowledge. If, if this is what this gift is, Scott Ulrich is almost encyclopedic in his knowledge of God's Word and the revelation of Scripture. We need these kinds of men and women Gift of shepherding. The gift of shepherding is manifested in persons who look out for the spiritual welfare of others. They do a really good job of, of knowing people, loving people, coming alongside people, praying and caring for people. And finally, a gift of wisdom. Wisdom is the gift that discerns the work of the Holy Spirit in the body and applies his teaching and actions to the needs of the body. They're just really good at saying, you know what, in light of what's going on in your life and in light of what we know about our God and what He says in His Word, probably the best course of action would be this. They're just able to practically put things together that are helpful to God's people. Do you know your gift or gifts? Are you using it for the good of others. Sometimes I've referred to spiritual gifts as tools. Because sometimes when we think about a gift, we think of something that's for me. Hey, thanks! And it's going to make my life better. But a tool is something different. You, you may have given it to me as a gift, but it has a, a goal in mind. I'm supposed to do something with the tool. One definition says this, it's a device or implement, especially one held in the hand, used to carry out a particular function. So God gives us a gift that He intends us to use and put into action. He puts a tool in our hand with which we are to serve. I like this illustration I put together. I know it breaks down. Maybe it's not that great, but I, but I envision arriving at a disaster zone. Things are really bad, and lots needs to be done. And you show up 
And there's one person in charge, and that person in charge is so wise and so smart. And they look at you, and they instantly know everything about you, and they know everything about the disaster behind them, and they say, hey, here, go get to work. They know exactly what tool to give you. They know exactly the needs behind them. They say, hey, here. Here's a tool that I think you will wonderfully be able to use for the good of others in the disaster that is behind. What would we think of someone who showed up at the disaster scene going, hey, what's going on around here? It looks interesting. It's very interesting. We need your help. Oh, really? Yeah, here. And then that person take that tool, see the disaster in front of them, and go find a shade tree and a glass of lemonade. Think about the order of salvation. It's kind of a fancy little deal, but it refers to all that God has done and is doing and will do to save you. He elected you before the foundation of the world. And in time, He, through His Holy Spirit, and the preaching of the Word of God, the Gospel, He called you to faith. He then regenerated you. He, he gave you spiritual life, and you believed the Gospel. And He forgave you of your sins. He justified you. He, he declared you to be righteous before Him. He adopted you into His family. Now He is sanctifying you. He is preserving you, and one day He's going to glorify you. What an amazing deal. But again, it's kind of like the, the, the six acts. Where are we? We're in this process of sanctification, whereby He is preserving us and keeping us until the final day of redemption. And part of what He's doing during the sanctification process for you and me is He's gifting us and letting us loose. I don't even know what they call it, but I was watching on ESPN the other night or one of the ESPN stations, and they had these dogs. And the dogs aren't racing anything in particular. They're, they're, they're chasing the whatever they call it. And I think, I'm not so sure they're measuring their time, but they're measuring their miles per hour. I think that's what was going on. And the owner brings out this dog, and the dog is just like this, right? I mean, just... And the owners got him by the, by the collar and just holding him. Because that, what do you call that little thing? The dummy or the, the rabbit? We call it the rabbit. They got it out there, and that dog sees it and just cannot, right? And then finally, boom. And that thing takes off, and the dog, bang. And those dogs are flying. Well, what would you think if you saw a dog and then the owner lets him go, the dummy takes off, and the dog just goes and just stays there? I chose you before the foundation of the world to be mine. And in due time, I worked in your heart through the Holy Spirit of God 
to open your eyes to see your sin and to see the glory of Jesus Christ and his life, death, and resurrection for you. And I gave you the gift of faith to believe and be saved. I forgave you of all of your sins. I took the righteousness of Jesus Christ and imputed it to your account. I declare you righteous. You're not righteous in yourself. You're a sinner. But I take Jesus' righteousness. I forgive you of your sin and put his righteousness on you such that you are accepted by me and loved by me. And I adopt you into my family. You are now my child. And I put my Holy Spirit in you. And with the Holy Spirit, I gave you a gift. And I have let go. Go serve my people and the world. In light of the the five acts that we've already seen and the fact that we are in this particular act called the mission of the church, in light of where it's going with the full redemption, not only of your body, but the whole world, the whole universe, let you go. Run! Run. Tom Schreiner. Once believers have identified their gifts, they should strive to excel in the gifts they have been given and devote themselves to the body by exercising those gifts. For example, teachers are not exempted from serving others, from rendering financial assistance, from showing mercy, and so on. Nonetheless, teachers should especially concentrate on studying so that their teaching is effective. They could be drawn away from their main strength and spend too much time in serving when their primary gift is teaching. Well, once they've identified their gifts, they should strive to excel, devote themselves to the body by exercising those gifts. If you're not a member of Redeemer Community Church, I'd love for you to become a member. On Tuesday, August 9th, we're going to host Redeemer 101. We'd love for you to be there. We'll feed you dinner. We'll take care of your young kids, your junior and senior high kids. If they want to come, they can be in the class with you. We'll eat a good dinner. I'll tell you about Redeemer. I'll answer every question best I can. We'd love for you to become a member. We'd love to get you into a community group. It'd be awesome. If, if you're a member of a church or if you call, of our church or you call Redeemer home, so many of you are serving. Thank you. Holy cow. So many of you are serving. We cannot do it without you, so thank you. Some of you, though, may be going, I'd love to serve. I don't know my gift. Would love to. Anyway. I'm getting ahead of myself. Here's what I'd love all of you to do, if you will. At RedeemerCommunity.life, there's a deal on there, a card. It says Redeemer 102. I would love it. There's three buttons on there. The first button is a volunteer information form. Take you one minute to fill it out. It's probably already in our system, so it may even pop up and all the info's there. And there's a few questions for you to answer on there. Take you more than a minute, a couple minutes, a few minutes. Secondly, there's a spiritual gifts inventory. 
Say, I don't know what my gifts are. Click on it. It'll take you several minutes. There's, I think, 80 questions, and you, you click one to five. One, yeah, no, that's not me. Five, yeah, yeah. You go through all 80 of them. So let's take you a while. And then, boom, it'll spit out. It's not perfect, right? It's just one of those things. But it may be a first step to go, okay, maybe I've got the gift of administration, or maybe I've got the gift of service, or maybe, maybe I've got the gift of hospitality. And it'll, it'll rank all of them. It's a good place to start. And then the third one, boop, it's called a shape assessment. It's been around for decades now. Shape. What are my spiritual gifts? S-H-A-P-E. Spiritual gifts. H, heart for ministry. So let's just take two people with the gift of teaching. Spiritual gift may be teaching, but, but this guy's heart for ministry may be first and second graders. And this guy's heart for ministry may be senior high students. Or this person might have the gift of teaching, but, but their real heart is homeless people. And so maybe you can take that spiritual gift and we hook you up with Tina Hatcher at Hope Impacts working with the homeless and maybe you can go and do a devotional or lead a Bible study or something like using that gift for your heart. A is your abilities. Those are just the natural abilities. Some of you all are good with numbers. Some of you are good with plumbing. Some of you can sew. Some of you can decorate. Some of you can do all sorts of different things. What abilities... Just natural abilities as God giving you. P is personality, and then E is experiences. What experiences have you been through that God wants to use? Maybe you've never thought about it. And generally, these experiences are the hard things you've been through. And maybe you've just never put it together. That's why... Doing the shape assessment is not perfect either, but it kind of forces you to begin to think about in a holistic way. Wow, you know what? There, there might be some ministry opportunities for me I've never even considered. Maybe you've been through a divorce, and you could help somebody else who's going through that. Maybe you've had a wayward child, and Boy, if you knew there was somebody in our, house, in, our, in our church with a wayward child, you would just love to visit with them about that. Not because you've got anything magnificent to say, but just because you've been there. It's an experience that you've had. And you saw God work, and you saw God help, and you saw God comfort, and, it, and, and you would just love for that. Maybe you've, who knows? If you will, redeemercommunity.life, click on Redeemer 102 and do those three things. If you already know your spiritual gifts, you can skip the spiritual gift inventory and just do the shape assessment. It will ask you what your spiritual gifts are and you just type them in. It's time to go. We'll say more next week. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Help us to know our place in the story. 
Help us um, as we live out Act 5 before the coming of Act 6, the return of Jesus Christ and His the establishment of His eternal kingdom. Help us as we act it out, as we play our part to do so um, with great faith, with great joy. Thank you for loving us, for those who put their faith in Jesus, for saving us, and for enlisting us in this great cause. We are not only recipients of your grace, but we are instruments of your grace to serve and to be a blessing to our church family and even to the world. We pray for your help. And God, if there are any here who've never put their faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins and to be reconciled to you and to have the hope of eternal life, Maybe it's just a few minutes ago I proclaimed your grace through Jesus Christ who lived and died and rose for sinners like them. God, maybe you would open their heart to believe and trust in Jesus right now. We would love that. We pray in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.